This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey, folks, you're in the workplace, uh, and that is Do the Hustle, which is going to relate to our segment now. We're going to talk about side hustles, but before we do that, Greg and I wanted to wrap up and put a little bow, as they say, around the previous conversation around Chinese immigrants moving into Italy and developing... Uh, an entire industry in the fashion world. All that stuff that you buy that says made in Italy is, but it's done by Chinese, Chinese workers. Living. Right. And so we, Greg was just talking about the parallels between the U.S. experience when the O'Shea's moved, to, right. uh, right. moved to the United States. They didn't I do guess. sewing. They didn't do sewing, right? Shovels. shovels. In, and that is the extent to which immigration is the same everywhere, and you think well, it is? Well, I think it's, I was just struck by how... Many of the themes would be themes that would be common to anyone who's either currently or in their family, the familial history has yeah. gone through mm-hmm. uh, everything from you know the tension regarding work to right. whether you're documented or not right. to the exposure to the powers that be, the, right. the backlash that can ha- all that, mm-hmm. all that, oral. and the back and forth. You know, yeah. you probably know this. Before World War One, there were no passports, and people right. used to just go back and forth right. and back and forth. And my father was born in Italy, but his, uh, I think his grandfather had actually been to the U.S. and his his father had been to the U.S. and they went back and forth all the time. Right, and you had, a, and and that varied by by ethnic group. Oh yeah, no, so the so yeah Irish did not go back. No, they they were gone. They were uh, gone. Out of there. <laughs> when yep. you run out of food, yep. uh, you leave. You leave. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Which was very different than say the Greek or the Italian, where right. they had high not just visiting rates but high return rates. Right. You know? right. Back and forth. I right. also think there is a theme of the show. I think the hustle refers to both the previous. Uh, section well, and this session. So. There you go. And Greg will explain that uh, otherwise completely obtuse connection. It's uh, all about hustling. In just a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. So with us to talk about this is Nick Bartell. Nick's a MBA student at the Wharton School, which is interesting in and of itself, but also the co-founder and co-CEO of a company called Market Snacks. And this is an example of a paradigm called the side hustle. And we're going to talk about that now. So Nick, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks so much, guys. And Nick, I should also say, just made the Forbes list of, for 2018 of 30 under 30. Just barely. Just we barely. Understand. Snuck in two months. Uh, and uh, that means the 30 people who are shakers and movers under the age of 30. So, yeah, the obvious question, Nick, is what happens when you hit 31? I think there's a crisis that's supposed to happen at yeah. that point, right? Uh, or do you move to the 31 under 31 list? Uh, I think that's... There's always something to aspire. <laughs> right. Fast aspire. companies coming out with that next, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I think. Or there's, it's, there's it's not quite as fast it's as not people as under 30. Right. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> slower, yeah. Yeah. but it's still a list. Yeah. It's still a, you, you just want to be on the list. It's, in, it's important. 100 under 100 is just not... It's not, it's not the same speed. Not as exclusive. It's, it's, not, it's not the yeah. same speed. No, it's that's, not. that's for absolutely you sure. You just want to be glad you're moving. I think it's time to get back to Nick. Okay. So let's get back to Nick here. And the side hustle. So... Um, Nick, let's talk first and define for people what is side hustle. I had not heard that term before, but it is not just your term. It's a pretty widespread term among people who are younger than us on this side of the Which is a lot of people. Yes, a lot of people. <laughs> Increasing, increasingly right. so every year. Yeah, yeah, this is an exciting concept, and it's one that's really kind of new in the workplace, too. Okay. So 
and we're going to build a distinction between different types of side hustles out there. But the general concept is the idea of having a basically a business, a startup, a source of income, something more than a hobby that you're pursuing while mm-hmm. maintaining a day mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And this brings personal satisfaction, potentially financial gains, but it's it's a very new concept. And it's not just a an, a, uh, a second job, right? It's right. not just a second job. Right. And Greg and I will will recognize the term moonlighting from a previous uh, generation, previous century, yes, which meant basically people used, tons of people used to have second jobs, but this is not just a second job. Right. In a funny way, it's almost like millennials rebranded the concept of moonlighting. Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. difference here is that I think the moonlighting still exists. You know, you still have people who are part of the uh, gig economy, who are, you Mm -hmm. know, working for TaskRabbit, who are running it, jumping into Ubers and Mm -hmm. are getting that second income Mm -hmm. outside of what they do uh, as a day job. But right. the distinction we like to make is that, you know, these side hustles can go two ways. Um, one way is if it's a one-way type of side hustle, like Uber, the company that you do your day job for isn't really benefiting from that. That's something mm-hmm. you do totally separately. Mm-hmm. However, when you see millennials pursuing side hustles that go both ways, okay. um, in which they're building maybe a startup or a company and they have relevant expertise they can then bring back to their day job. Right which, you know, affects and influences their coworkers, which mm-hmm. affects and influences their managers and has a benefit for their day job company, mm-hmm. that's a very different thing. And I think that's the distinction that you're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's uh, just give people a definition for those at home who are taking notes. So side hustle sounds like uh, somebody who is starting an entrepreneurial venture yes. while they are currently employed by somebody else. Yes, and uh, the more interesting part of that is the situations where this new business that you're starting might actually be of some use to the – or the experience you're getting from it might be of some use to the person who's giving you the weekly or monthly paycheck. Exactly. And that's okay. what I think is really exciting about it because we – you know, when we launched Market Snacks, this okay. was something that we kept very secretive amongst ourselves. You okay. know, we thought of a side hustle in this way as – you know, something that was not to be ashamed of with our day jobs, but mm-hmm. not something to be spoken of. Okay, so t- tell us your experience. Tell us what you and your partner were doing before, right? And how you got this idea, and what was it? Uh, what was it? What is Market Snacks? Yeah, it's you know, it's an exciting entrepreneurial journey for us. Basically, mm-hmm. my co-founder Jack Kramer and I, um, we met as freshman year roommates. Kind of uh, as soon as we met each other, we knew we'd be good friends. We had the same protein shake when we walked in the dorm room. Well, there you go. You know? There's a bonding. As all great businesses begin. <laughs> it's a bonding move. <laughs> and Jack was playing football. I was playing lacrosse. After yeah. college, we ended up living together with a few other guys in I the see, East you, Village. You have all your teeth still. Uh, you know, my two front teeth are actually fake. So Are they? No kidding. They are. Knocked oh, out wow. in the cross game against no. Penn of all teams. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ooh. So we, we had to admit you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. You're still say, looking for his teeth. Yeah, just right. say on They're your on application. Franklin Field somewhere. <laughs> I'm right? looking, yeah. I'm, I need to come here because I want to find my teeth. Anyway, so, <laughs> knocked you off. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're in New York. We're both working at, uh, at financial institutions at the time. Uh-huh. And basically, after a couple of months, we're like, you know, we don't really love this. It's We want to be doing something that's a little bit more fulfilling than just the grind we're a part of. Yep. And then on top of that, we're realizing a few other things. We're saying, you know, we wish that there were financial news not filled with jargon, something okay. we could actually understand, something we could look forward to reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also we're talking to our peers and we're like, hey, they wish they want the same thing too. Maybe our, you know, our buddies who are still in college would want something like this. And this okay. could help them actually get jobs. Okay. So we decide over a couple of beers one night uh, off Union Square that we're going to start writing a daily source of financial news that's quick, clear, and entertaining for millennials. And we did that in 2012, and we haven't missed a day of market action since. Mm -hmm. We basically scaled this company since then Mm -hmm. 
to be a daily rundown of the core things you got to know about Wall Street, but mm-hmm. we make it fun, we make it entertaining, we make it quick, we put it in a format millennials like and understand, and then we've scaled this to partnerships with some major companies, including like Fidelity, Betterment, and uh, and also TV appearances consistently with CBS, NASDAQ, Cheddar, and others. And don't forget Sirius XM, Channel 111, Business Radio, that's, by the Wharton School. That's been the goal the whole time. <laughs> that, We're finally here. It goes here. without saying. It goes <laughs> I mean, I'm really surprised you stooped to that level yeah. to actually name it. Name it. <laughs> right. Name it. Uh, and by the way, speaking of name it, just remind people what we're doing here. We're talking to Nick Martell, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of Market Snacks. This is a, a company which is a side hustle, which he started while being fully employed, uh, probably overemployed, uh, in the investment world. And then he'll tell us about where he went after that. And this seems to be something which is not uncommon, uh, that uh, lots of young people are starting businesses while they're employed by some, pl- some other employer and can pull it off. So in your story so far, it's hard to imagine your life without your partner here. Um, once he showed up in your life, yeah. uh, clearly you uh, bonded on all kinds of levels. So in doing this, um, how important is it to have the friendship before you go and do it versus go hunt for somebody who has a similar interest and hope that you come up with a decent working relationship? Yeah, let me let me ask you just add to that. The reason why I think that may be particularly different here is because you've got to be working at a distance from each other, right? You're not in even in the same company, and you're working long hours in this other company, and you've still got to sign to get things done. you got to coordinate uh, from some distance, right? Totally. And I think this is what an interesting distinction between kind of your full hustle, full-time entrepreneurship and side hustle entrepreneurship is, okay. is that – you know, you hear a lot when people launch a company that you shouldn't do it with a best friend. You shouldn't do it with a buddy. You're going to destroy the relationship. You're going to destroy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something that's just messy. Um, and what we found is that with side hustles, you kind of need that extra level of trust because okay. of exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be separate. You're not in the same place. You're doing a lot of the coordination remotely, just using technology. Okay. So there has to be an extra level of trust, an extra level of understanding who your co-founder is mm-hmm. um, in order to make this even possible. Mm-hmm. But I think the same rules apply when it comes to having a complementary co-founder. And this is what we've discussed in my entrepreneurship class too, which is you really see more success when entrepreneurs tend to have a co-founder. And the mm-hmm. ones that work out are the ones where they're able to make the skill sets or make sure the skill sets are complementary. Complimentary, right. And that's something Jack and I had noticed because we'd known each other for a while as friends. We knew we had complementary mm-hmm. interests, you know, He focuses on certain parts of the newsletter, uh, particularly manufacturing and tech stocks, whereas I'll jump on the consumer-oriented brands. Mm -hmm. That's huge for us. I mean, the ability to be complementary in that way means we can write about different things, which saves us time, which is key, which keeps it interesting Mm -hmm. and keep things moving at a pace because you have to be super efficient when you're running a side hustle. Uh, uh, I think the context – I've heard you talk about this before. The context is very different now. It's easier to start – these companies without having to leap in full time. Uh, say a little bit about what is why it's why you can do it now. Yeah, companies I think, like I think there are three key factors to why you can do it now. Uh, the first is this romanticization of of entrepreneurs and founders in general. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at just the media output of content there that is, you know, putting Zuckerberg or putting Musk on a pedestal. Right. And that's something you didn't see in the 90s right. as much. Even if you screw it up, people think it's cool. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, you can you can look at the companies that have fallen apart now. You look at what's happening with Snap right now. And, you know, still people are romanticizing what's happening uh, with Spiegel. Right. Um, the second element is, you know, has to do with just technology. 
The reality is you couldn't run a company on a device you put in your pocket 15 years ago. Right. And now you can't. Jack Kramer, my co-founder, he's in Michigan right now. Mm-hmm. We even lived together in the same state for the last couple of years. And on a daily basis, we're running a company together. Mm-hmm. Much of that is done just through our phones. So technology enables that. And then on top of that, you have the developments with websites, being able to actually launch a legitimate-looking brand quickly and cheaply. Mm-hmm. You want a logo? Easy to find a freelancer on some platform online, right. and you're paying a small amount of money where you used to have to hit up a friend who would you know, call a buddy who then would like mail you some ideas of logos, and it would take weeks and months. Now you can get one overnight. Yeah. So, and I think uh, the side hustle idea, let's just think, think this through. How, think about how much money it saves you, right? Because you would have to find somebody, your parents, your friends, your family, because the bank's not going to give you money. Uh, to support you for a year or two while you're launching a, a job, if you're doing this the regular entrepreneurial way, right? Right. So this is an enormous subsidy that allows you to launch this thing, right? What do you think the employers think about this? Because I, I imagine a lot of employers are listening out there and saying, you know, I'd fire anybody who was doing this while I was paying them, right? Just on principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some of them just on principle, yeah. So I think that's the gut instinct, and that's what you've seen from a lot more traditional industries. Um, and when Jack and I have been running this as a side hustle, we had an interesting dichotomy there, too, because Jack was working at a bank. I left my bank to work for a, a very exciting nonprofit called Endeavor, which is an organization structured like a venture capital firm that supports entrepreneurs in emerging markets. So I was at a very different type of day job employer than Jack was. And I think the distinction we saw is that while both employers were super supportive in the end, Mm -hmm. you know, other employers in the financial industry, like where I would previously worked, would probably not be as supportive. Whereas the organization Endeavor where I worked you know, encouraged me. My managers would do check-ins with me. They wanted to hear what was happening. They encouraged me to share things I learned about the side hustle with my peers because it may help them. I started working with one of my buddies who launched his own side hustle there, which is on athletes kind of giving back and writing content on their experiences. Mm -hmm. So there was kind of a multiplier effect that could happen. And when our employer noticed that and harnessed it, I think it benefited the company. Mm-hmm. So when did you tell your employer you were doing this? So um, when I, I happened to join um, Endeavor just as we'd monetized. And for us, we thought monetization is the key. That's, that's the difference for us between a hobby and a mm-hmm. side hustle. So once companies like Motley Fool came to us, wanted to syndicate our content, we kind of had um, proof of concept. We knew we could scale it further from there, and we pursued new monetization areas. That's when we said we should go to our managers. For me, that meant starting with Endeavor at about the same time as we monetized. And so I was very transparent. And, you know, as we talk about, this is when you're launching a side hustle, the key with your relation with your employer, like any good employee-manager relationship, is over-communication. I mean, the last thing you want is for them to think you're stealing resources mm-hmm. or wasting time at work. you got to have boundaries laid out, yep. and you got to make sure you're communicating that quickly. So was it that you felt at that point they would find out anyway? Yeah, you know, it wasn't so much at that point that we were nervous of them finding out, but more of this was something we were also pretty proud of. You know, when we got to that point where we had monetized a business, something from scratch, and this is what I mm-hmm. love about entrepreneurship and working with entrepreneurs, is that when you're building something out of nothing, that's an incredibly empowering experience. Mm. And so to be able to go to a new employer and say, hey, I built this with my co-founder. We're proud of it. We've got this great inflection point Mm -hmm. right now. And they can then come back to you and say, that's fantastic. All we want in return is transparency, 
honesty, and for you to maybe share mm-hmm. some of your insights with the rest of your team members, mm-hmm. that's extremely uh, powerful. There's, there's one, there's one other question in this yeah. language, which is, so who did you go and talk to? And could you just say, what was the opening line in that conversation? So I, I'd say that's when I started at Endeavor, and it was in the interview room when I was interviewing. And it was at mm-hmm. that point, Market Snacks was on my resume. And I was uncertain then if I should bring it up because my concern when I was applying was, are they going to think I'm going to jump ship right mm-hmm. away after mm-hmm. getting this job? Right. Um, and so I wanted to address it, but I didn't know how exactly. Uh, and I remember my discussing this with my girlfriend, now fiance at the time, like, how do I handle this delicate submission? I'm proud of it, mm-hmm. but I don't want this to prevent me from getting the job. Maybe I just don't mention it. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point in the interview, I kind of just, you know, someone mentioned this is on your resume, decided to keep it on there, um, kind of take that risk. And I said, yeah, this is something I've been running for about a year now, excited about it, um, but it's not something that's going to prevent me from doing my job. We've got very clear boundaries. We don't do it while at work. We've got an efficient system. So in a way, it was kind of better for us that we'd already laid the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you about this prejudice that we were talking about, uh, this concern that Greg and I see that many employers might have. You know, the here, here's Greg, what I'm thinking about with this. There are a lot of employees that companies know have have activities and hobbies and things outside of work that are completely occupying them, right? Including uh, uh, while they're at work. Including while they're at work, right. yeah. I mean, some of them, you know, like like serious amateur athletes mm-hmm. or they their kids are involved in something that they're coaching and all, and so they know it's They're working the network while they're at work. Yeah, and, and nobody cares about that. I mean, but I think there would be, in many companies, a negative reaction to this. Why do you think that is? Well, one piece of this, I think, is it puts more pressure. It's it's somewhat akin to when people work uh, out of the office, right? It yeah. puts more pressure on deciding what is a good job. So what do I actually want out of you so I can tell whether you're oh, doing a good job a or performance, not? performance, yeah. As opposed to I know you're sitting yeah. here for yep. Yep. eight, nine, ten hours a day. You must yep. be doing something. Yeah. Uh, I'm being a little flippant. But, yeah. uh, but, but right, if right, somebody's... Right. Yeah. I have to decide, well, all right, so what does what do I really want from you? And how yeah. will I be able to tell it? Yeah. And if I can get that, what do I care? Yeah. That's what you should be saying. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel if you're not suffering. Right. If you're not <laughs> suffering here with us. Yeah, we're, we're not, you know? so you're not working hard so enough. Enough of this happiness at work <laughs> yeah, stuff. Right. You know, like, so, yeah. Nick, let me ask you a couple of questions here as yeah. we start to wrap up. Uh, one is about advice. Yeah. So for people who are interested in doing this, what would you tell them? Well, I would say there unfortunately is not much research out on side hustles. Mm-hmm. And I wish there was, but it's a new phenomenon. One book that I love uh, is by a guy named Patrick McGinnis called The 10% Entrepreneur, where he outlines different types of side hustles to varying degrees and different examples. So I think the most important thing you can do is read up on basically case studies, okay. you know, almost like you're in a business school class. Yep. You want to see what other people have done so you can pull lessons from it because yep. you're not going to get the same kind of advice from just a book on entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. of which there are plenty, as mm-hmm. we know. Yep. So yep. that's the first thing I would say is get experience with that. The second thing I would do is try to connect in person with one of these people. Reach out to a founder of one of these companies. Okay. Jack and I make sure we respond to every email we get every day from people who read Market Snacks, and many of them are trying to launch their own businesses. Mm-hmm. And we think that mentor network, that multiplier effect we can have is powerful. Okay. So then I'd say reach out to an individual. And then third, I'd say once you actually want to pursue this, once you want to kind of take that side mm-hmm. hustle plunge, um, then you have an open conversation with your manager. Yeah. And I think that's what we were talking about before, which is the core – 
you know, challenge here is transparency that you have yeah. to get beyond. And yeah. you want to be proactive about that. You want to explain that you're going to have boundaries. You want to explain that this won't interfere. You want to manage any concerns they mm-hmm. may have ahead of time. But you need their permission. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing you could do is probably bring this to their attention and then continue to do it if they say no. Yeah. But I think there's a strong case that can be made now that with technology, you can ensure this doesn't interfere with your day job. Mm-hmm. You know, And then on top of that, there are benefits to running a business as an entrepreneur, things you learn, how to manage challenges. You talk about stressful situations as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You bring back to that, that back to your day job in the workplace, and you're a very different, I think, higher-quality employee mm-hmm. as a result. You know, it is inter- it's back to this uh, romance of entrepreneurship now, and I think this, this value that uh, people in bigger, older, slower companies think there must be something we could learn from these folks. So I think you're much more likely to be able to pull this off now than ever before because so many companies seem to think that they want uh, to learn from that. It's also kind of a backdoor into engagement at work. Oh, yeah. If somebody won't let you do it, uh, I actually somewhat paradoxically, right, can end up more engaged in that place where I am allowed to do it. Oh, right. So I'm, I, it's going to turn me off if you don't. Right. I, I think that's part of that broader millennial trend where when you look at, you know, millennials are going to be 75% of the workforce within yep. the next few years. Yep. And but, they want flexibility. And this is a core way that you can give them mm-hmm. creativity, flexibility, and autonomy. Uh, although here's the other thing. You're soon going to be older and you won't be millennials any longer. <laughs> so Nick is going to have to worry about There'll that. be another group. There'll be another group. They, yep. uh, and we need a name for them. Yep. Yeah. We'll get it. Don't worry. <laughs> somebody will come up with it. Well, Nick, best of luck with the 40 under 40 Indeed, uh, yeah. list, which is going to be popping and up And may soon. you get 100 under 100. May we all. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.